Welcome to the Crafty Ass Female Podcast, an audio show that talks about the resourceful ways we women are living our lives and the crafty projects we create in between. We are your hosts, Amanda Zampelli and Kristen Tweedale, and we believe you are a capable badass who already has all the tools you need to make beautiful things and make beautiful things happen. We're just here to remind you. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Oh my gosh, listeners, you guys, today on the show, we have Michelle Garcia with us, whose handle on Instagram is Dainty Mess, so go follow her now if you're not already, Um, but she is the editorial manager of NBC BLK, which is a division of NBC News that covers news and information focusing on black Americans. Before that, she was an editor at a number of different publications and has covered major social movements across the U.S. over the last decade, including the fight for marriage equality, Me Too, and the movement for black lives. Most recently, she wrote a New York Times article entitled, if this is not perfect for our podcast, (laughs) Scrapbooking as an Act of Radical Self-Care. And it talks about how people of color who craft are done being overlooked. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) we are so excited to share you with everyone and talk all about that. So welcome. Oh my goodness. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Thank you, guys. Girl. A treat. Wait, I have to let my dog into the room. This is a treat because I've been... Listening to you guys since day one, honestly, for real. I can, in fact, with this very dog, I remember sitting, <laughs> walking in, walking in the park with her and listening to you guys, like, introduce yourselves to each other. I was like, oh my God, this is so great. Oh my God, I love it so much. Thanks so much for listening and oh, coming yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm really excited to dive into, like, honestly, a million different topics with you because you also wrote the scrapbooking during yes. coronavirus <laughs> article for Vice, which you're just really on the hot button topics, which are super cool. And before we dive into all of these other things, let's start with the basics. How long have you been scrapbooking? Because you are a scrapbooker. It's true. I am a scrapbooker. I'm not just some (laughs) random lady who's like, I'm going to write about these two. Um, (laughs) I've been scrapbooking since uh, 2013. Like, you know, the, the scrapbooking that we know of today as, you know, the way that we throw stuff in albums since 2013. But right. uh, I, I don't know. I've always been like a crafty kid. I could. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. You could trace it back from when you're a little kid and you're like yeah. excited about paper and scraps and planners and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Like when I, so my, so this really starts, um, well, first of all, both of my parents were pretty crafty, creative people. My mom taught me about like um like collaging you know so the first collage I ever saw was this one that she did when she was like an like a college student at Hofstra or something and it's like she clipped out a bunch of stuff from Ms. Magazine of course because my mom is a feminist badass lady <laughs> yeah and she you know and it was like her introducing me to both feminism and collaging like paper art and I was just like this this is it this is my thing great awesome thanks mom and then <laughs> my dad uh, was, honestly, I told him the other day, I was like, dad, you were the first scrapbooker I ever knew. And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so my dad was in the military. And, uh, you know, it's like when you're in the military, you do a lot of these courses and you get certificates and, you know, medals and all that stuff. So he, um, uh, at some point, he kind of started collecting all this stuff, like in a book and then like put, would put like 
photos and like write like oh I you know did this thing with these people and he gave me my own book and was like here you know like you're in fourth grade now or whatever I was and he was like you're gonna start like winning spelling bees and whatever and I started doing the same thing so and about two years later he told me he was like you know one thing that I regret from my childhood is not having a, a journal so he gave me a journal and he was like, go ahead, you should be documenting your, your youth. You will like look back on this and love that you have it. And I was like, whatever, dad. But then I, <laughs> I started doing it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> oh my God. Power move, dad. Good dad move. Yeah, totally. Did he, did he say it was a scrapbook or did he not even put that word to it? I can't even remember if he called it a scrapbook, but he, maybe he just he knew it was like his documentation. Yeah. 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 It's got like all his little, you know, like I did this course kind of a thing. So yeah, it's really, it's really funny to like think about that. So yeah, ever since, and then, you know, my journals, I, I still have this gigantic crate of journals from when I was, I don't know, 13-ish or so. Uh, you might hear my kid in the background. Anyway, <laughs> I have like this gigantic crate of journals from when I was 13 up until I was about, well, no, until to college, yeah. And like the, the covers all have collages and inside it's like photos of me and my friends and like clippings from the newspaper and like all this stuff that I'm just like, this is, I do this now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It is one of those things that once you start doing it, once you have it, you need to keep doing it. Yeah. Because one, you love the ones you've already done. And two, it's this not necessarily, a, it's not a compulsion, but you are pulled towards wanting to organize your memories. Right. Any type of hobby or any type of thing that you do on the side is always work and it always takes up time. But when we're doing it with pretty paper and stickers and colorful things, it makes it so much more awesome. And so one of the things that you talked about with the women in your article is black women specifically have found it harder to find products that look like them. Right. And this has been a conversation that a lot of us, you know, in the industry have had quietly, you know, between two women or between three women. And your article just made it so public. What prompted you to do it? <laughs> how did yeah how did the whole thing come about oh man so I you know I so the George oh actually okay so to back up a little bit uh Mark no May 15th 2020 the very first time in my life I had been laid off now I <laughs> have uh worked in journalism for a long time I'm 35 I've been working since college um and you know I've seen a lot of layoffs it was my first layoff so <clears throat> I was laid off from Vice um and I was just kind of down and about 10 days later you know the news really started coming about George Floyd and I was like I don't know if I can handle doing this again like <laughs> you know people started reaching out to me and like hey do you want to write about this I know you're not working and you know you can write about it for us and I was just like I can't I'm exhausted and so I you know I was just like I'm just gonna dive into Instagram and not like just check out from the world because frankly you know 2020 I've been covering race and identity for most of my career and none of this is new to me how many times have I <laughs> you 
you know, covered somebody like George Floyd, somebody like Breonna Taylor, somebody, you know, like Nina Pop, you know, like, these are just people who have died that we know this year. There are so many, and so many that I've covered, um, and I, it, it's like, this, you know, journalism, it's hard, it's a hard job in, in a way, like, it's mentally taxing when you have to face trauma on a regular basis, synthesize it for public knowledge, and then, um, you know, just keep doing it every day. <laughs> kind of sucks. I love There's my job. a lot job. of emotional labor in that. Exactly. Exactly. It's emotional labor. And, you know, I can't, I can't say like, it's like, you know, working in a coal mine or anything, obviously, like, I feel very privileged to have this job, but it is very emotionally taxing. So I was just kind of like, you know what, I'm going to let these people just kind of deal with this and work out whatever America has to work out. I'm just going to dial back my involvement in this for a minute. I'm just going to focus on Instagram. So <laughs> of course my Instagram feed is all people I know, uh, dogs and scrapbooking. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, my kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Just like, you know, Oh, my friend's baby did something cute. Awesome. Like that's, that's it. It's just like right. a salve for the brain. <laughs> um, so I am, you know, scrolling, scrolling and I'm noticing like, wow, there's a lot of scrapbookers like trying to do stuff here about Black Lives Matter. And some of them know what to say. Some of them are, you can tell, like are trying to figure out like, all right, what's my place in this? How do I talk about this? And some of them are like, failing, <laughs> failing with an H, like failing. So I kind of, so on Instagram, I'm kind of a nobody. Like I don't post a lot of stuff on Instagram. But on Twitter, you know, I have a little bit more of a following just because it's just the nature of journalism. So I tweeted as like, you know, I might have half a mind to, to write about, uh, or no, I said, if anybody actually cares about this, I would write about the scrapbooking industry completely imploding over not ha knowing how to handle racism. And, you know, it's not like everything I tweet goes viral. It's like I have one viral thing a year, you know. <laughs> but, this tweet people were like oh my god write it for me write it for me you know like it was like the washington post my old uh, my old workplace vox they contacted me um just like all kinds of places and i was just like oh no like because I, <laughs> I know but I can sorry <laughs> this like blood thirst thing it's like people wanted me to just drag a bunch of white women for not knowing how to talk about race and i was like i'm not doing that like that's not what this is like I don't have that uh I don't know I just don't have mean-spirited bone in your body yes I'm just not a mean person I can be tough I can be a tough you know journalist I can be a tough editor but I am not a mean person so it just didn't make sense for me to just be like yeah <laughs> look they suck about talking about race like I can't I just don't do that so I um eventually uh a I am friendly-ish, kind of, you know, whatever. I don't, I'm not name dropping, but I am friendly with the editor of the New York Times style section, Corey Sika, who is just the coolest person ever, great human being. And he was like, I am offended that you didn't pitch that to me. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, because I was, I was really just joking, you know, and um, you know, so one of the editors, Natalie Schuttler from the, from the time she reached out to me, she's like, Hey, Corey told me to get in contact with you. And I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I'll do this then. Um, uh, but I told her, I was like, look, I have in my mind, I don't want this to be about dragging 
people and companies just because they don't know how to talk about Black Lives Matter, <laughs> you know? But like at the same time, part of this whole dialogue has been about lifting up black women and exactly. not making it about white women. Like we're not supposed to be making it about white women. We're supposed to be making it about black women. Right. Right. And that's the thing. I like I when I talked to her, I was like, I really do want this to be more about the women who are speaking out and trying to change change the perception of the industry that, you know, like, you know, everybody who scrapbooks is a 45 year old, you know, mom of three, you know, whatever, which is fine if you are, obviously. <laughs> We love y'all, but you know, it's also, you know, women in their twenties, women in their thirties, women without kids, you know, women of color, all that stuff. So it was just kind of like, I don't know. Um, they were, they were the most willing to give me the space to really do the story in a way that I thought was responsible. Um, and that's why, that was why I kind of was like, all right, I'm just going to do this for the times because <laughs> I think I can do what I need to do here. So Yeah. One of the things that I've seen, obviously, anytime that you're going to write anything at all with an opinion, you're going to get backlash. Some of the backlash that I've seen is, oh, well, you can just say, you know, anything is not just for white women. Oh, sure. One of the things that, and this is my, my personal opinion, and feel free to obviously disagree with me. But you had a really great section in your article about how a lot of scrapbooking comes from Salt Lake City, Mormonism. And I feel that this is one of the reasons why scrapbooking is so specifically white. And the tension that Mormonism has had with black people and the black community for, you know, literally hundreds of years at this generations point. yeah and and i don't know if the you know world at large knows about this because anytime i talk about like you know why did i start the awesome ladies project and feminist scrapbooking you know because scrapbooking is the industry is very you know if you're not white with a husband who has a job where you have a picket fence with two and a half kids you are othered and then I talk about, well, a lot of the big scrapbooking companies are from Salt Lake City. You know, just look at the back of your packaging. Does it say Provo? Does it say Salt Lake City? You know, and it's Mormon and people are like, oh, I would have had no idea. And so your article like really went into that and, and the history behind that. And do you think that that has an impact on the, the whiteness of scrapbooking? I think it does. So the funny thing is like, I was trying to really differentiate between the community and the industry, right? Because I think, you know, right? Like, we all know people of color are scrapbooking. Like, you know, of course. it's obvious, right? Like, we know. It's just that like the industry, like, especially the bigger companies, because they are based in very white areas and, uh, you know, like they do have this history with, with uh, Mormon followers, which, you know, that, I mean, in a way, it's kind of like, great. Like, I'm glad that some community out there <laughs> was able to kind of build a platform for us to have this craft and like build this community. But at the same time, that community does have a certain level of baggage that impacts uh, the way that, uh, you know, whether they have black and brown staff, 
you know, whether they, uh, you know, bring on uh, uh, black and uh, black and brown uh, designers and have people in the building or, you know, whatever, like decision makers, you know, um, like, I think that's kind of like the thing. It's not like the point I was trying to make is more so that they, there are black women who scrapbook, obviously. It's about the decision makers. It's about the people who are putting these crafts in the stores. It's about the people who own the big chain stores, you know, where so many of us live. Honestly, like, I don't know if, if, if there's a Michaels near you, Amanda, but the Michaels in Brooklyn, I went <laughs> to Michaels the weekend before lockdown. Let me tell you, every black woman in Brooklyn was at that Michaels. <laughs> We were like, yo, gotta get those crafts, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and I kind of, like, I remember just walking around. I was like, this is what we value. Like, there, there are so many of us here who value art and crafts and making and, you know, all these things like scrapbooking and making beads and t-shirts and like all this stuff. And it's like, we, we're, we're here. <laughs> we are out here. So um, it was just kind of like a funny observation I had even just before any of this happened. It was March 14th or whatever um and uh yeah so it was just kind of funny that uh I I had been thinking about this it, like that that image was like kind of in the back of my mind for like two months of quarantine and then all this stuff happens <laughs> yes I think both of those things are I, okay you made so many good points I want to talk about <laughs> two of them in particular the differentiating between the scrapbook industry and the scrapbook community. Yeah. Very important because like those of us who are like scrapbookers on Instagram, like <laughs> there are tons of great diverse craft, like scrapbookers. There are, you know, we have a huge Australian scrapbooking community and like, you'd never yes. know that by like just looking in the stores. Um, and they don't, you know, they they obviously can't get products like as easily as everybody else. But the industry, and especially after the Great Recession, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. contracted so much. American crafts bought up a lot of even medium-sized crafting companies. Yeah. And when all of that gets, you know, downsized into one group of buyers in one building... And they don't have a diverse staff and, you know, diverse in whatever ways you want to call it, whether it's racial, racial diversification, whether it's age diversification, whether it's income. And, you know, not everybody has the ability to buy $20 worth of product to put mm. on every single layout. That makes the industry a lot less likely to be able to understand the community right and and that's where we're having this huge disconnect right now and when you have these big companies like american crafts those are the companies that get their stuff into michael's right because it's not like every little tiny startup because there are i mean there are amazing people making amazing crafts making amazing stickers oh my like the planner community like if you're having yes <laughs> Like, just go and look at the planner community if you want scrapbook stickers that yeah. are diverse in all of the different ways. There are so many, like, LGBTQ stickers, um, stickers of just women in all sorts of, like, neurodiversity, um, disability-wise. 
the planner babes are on that yes. hard. But, like, you can't get Michaels to order from them because they can't, there's just no way to size up that way. And the buying shows just don't exist the way they used to. And it's not like there's any buying shows this year anyway. Right. What you said about the industry and the community and how big, big box industry can't, like there's a disconnect between the community. Wouldn't you think that social media at this point would make it easier for there not to be? Like you're seeing everyone using your stuff. Like You know what I mean? Like wouldn't you think that they would understand their audiences wide and diverse at this point? You know, does, does that make sense? Is that, is that why everyone got so mad though? Right, but that's what American I'm saying. So is it still a tr- thing? Like that's why everyone was so like... Right, so it's been this history of it, but also it's still a choice. Like they just have to be more aware of the choice of like what they're featuring and creating. Like it shouldn't be so such a disconnect, like what you're saying. So why is it? Yeah. Still. I mean... I, <laughs> which is right. why everyone got angry, which is I understand. But it's just like, it just still blows my mind but I like the part of your article where you say like are done being overlooked like I love that word like overlooked like and then you had the interview with Taziana is that how you say it yeah like, I love like everything oh she said I'm obsessed with she, her I can't even tell you how much stuff was on the cutting room floor that she said that I was just like oh my god this is great I couldn't yeah <laughs> because her like even her saying like I'm not a person who posts my political, you know, whatever it is, my, like, what I feel about it. I just like to put out happy scrapbooking. But the second she took a stand and lost fault, like, that to me was, like, <laughs> in the article that really grabbed me, where, like, you're okay to be in the community until you assert your blackness, and then you're going to lose fault. Like, so yeah. that, I love that part where it was, like, you really highlighted that and the overlooked Part. Like you're done being just overlooked and just like, oh, you could be joining us until you say something like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah. interesting because it, it's such it's a thing that I feel like if you are a black person that you that has to navigate white spaces very regularly, you're very familiar with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's like it's it's if you're a white person listening to this who's not had this experience, it's kind of like if you're a woman and you're like used to being the cool girl until you say like, oh, my, you know, my back hurts because my period is starting or, or I don't know, something like that. Or just like, mm-hmm. hey, stop being so sexist. It's kind of like that. It's that feeling of just like, oh, so I, you, you'll, you're cool with me as long as I don't remind you that there's, you know, <laughs> there's something here. There's some privilege happening. There's some, you know, like you're using language that is uh, actually kind of offensive or like, hey, I am different from you <laughs> and acknowledge that. But, you know, like it's, it's that kind of a thing where, uh, yeah, you you get sadly used to um, navigating that and and realize that it, it, like you uh, you know we were talking about emotional labor earlier and it was just kind of like you really take on a lot of emotional labor as a woman of color um, in in white spaces especially because you just like you know you it, a lot of the time the arguments is just like this is not worth the like, <laughs> I just do not have energy to do all this right now, you know? Right, and their capacity to understand isn't there. Yeah. Which is yeah. sad, but that's what we need yeah. to, like, work on. Even just as from a business standpoint, I it's like, why wouldn't you be more interested in, like, you know, at least uh, 
assuming that you would be broadening your your base you know like if you're a big company and you're like oh i well i guess we only have 30,000 people who ever want to buy these products that's fine like how is that good business you know <laughs> well that title uh, exclusion is bad for business like yeah. i love that that was so true yeah actually you know it's funny the editor she put that subhead in there and she's like changes as if that's bad and i was like no that's correct that's correct <laughs> this is the part that i can't well it's not that I don't understand. This is the part that messes with me a bunch. And like, as an anti-capitalist, do either of you know what's going on with Bon Appetit? Yeah. My, so full, full disclosure, my husband works at Food and Wine magazine. So <laughs> we've been watching. <laughs> what happened? Tell me. So Bon Appetit had this like powerhouse YouTube channel. Like powerhouse YouTube channel. They're cooks were making like they were like youtube stars. stars and then about six and a half weeks ago one of their women of color writers slash test kitchen video appearers on a zoom call called out the editor-in-chief for puerto rican brown face then it turned out that they were systematically paying all of their people of color writers less. They didn't have video contracts. All of their white video writers had very lucrative contracts. And Condé Nast, which owns Bon Appetit and a bunch of other magazines, said, no, 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 don't worry, we're going to make it better. They made the... <laughs> editor-in-chief resigned they made the guy who runs the video department resign and said don't worry we're gonna make it all equitable all of the white video stars said we're not gonna appear in video until all of our uh colleagues have equitable pay contracts this past week all of the almost everyone on the editorial team who did not have all the almost all of the people of color who did not have contracts said the entire process has been bogus it's been a sham they're not going to give us contracts some of the people said the contracts that they were offered was going to be less than what they were getting before so it was all a show to like appease the people completely complete oh. show yeah and so they li I mean, they literally blew up their entire YouTube channel just so that they can continue perpetuating racism. It's it's like it's so crazy because they were literally making millions of dollars on their YouTube channel each month. Like you can literally look at how many videos, how many hits their videos get, and you can calculate how much money that they were making. They haven't put out a new video in six weeks, and. <laughs> You can literally see the coins yeah. not going into their bank account because they don't want to pay people who aren't white more money. It's, I don't understand how you can just choose to be racist because you don't want to pay people a little bit more money when you are going to be making a lot more money. It's infuriating. Right, so if you're a capitalist pig, like, it pays not to be racist. Like... <laughs> basically right they, they, they imploded themselves like and it's just such a silly like 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the inner workings are, but yeah, no, Kristen, you basically, that's, that's exactly it. And it's just like, in this industry, like the journalism industry, we are having a reckoning um, in ways, you know, and again, like I said, I've been working in journalism since 2006, 2002, if you count like college, but you know, like I've been in this game for a long time. I care very much about this industry and the longevity of it. And if, if these news organizations, especially these big guys like Condé Nast, like, you know, NBC, like I, where I work and the times, you know, everywhere, if they don't get better at integrating more people of color in more serious ways, they are literally losing out. <laughs> this is, this is just a poor um, display of how to cover, you know, communities like you're just not i'm not saying that only black people should be covering black things or whatever like i think that's ridiculous everybody should be able to cover whatever they want it's really about like if you are not covering people of color if you are not incorporating in uh people of color women queer folks like into the fold there's a good chance that you are not necessarily getting the rich tapestry that is America. I know that sounds very, you know, no, like uh, high and mighty or whatever, but like that's it's really just a fact. <laughs> I, I completely agree. I mean, Bon Appetit had a Juneteenth article in their latest, you know, whatever their summer issue was. Mm -hmm. But the only person they had to send to the <laughs> barbecue place in Philadelphia was Sola because she was the, you know, I don't even I don't even know how to put it. She was the closest to non-white that they could send. I, it, that's it's just it sounds so stupid coming out of my mouth. <laughs> I know, and see, of course, like for me, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like I, I can only laugh because it's so preposterous and it and it's sad. This is bon appetit, you know, like. I, well, also, like, sure. Oh my God, magazines are dying, but they they but, have offices they have multiple floors mm -hmm. in one world trade center mm -hmm. like go you know go get your go live somewhere else you don't <laughs> have to you don't have to have multiple floors in one world trade center if you're really hurting for money right i know i mean this is the other thing with Condé Nast. i'm just and you know i apologize to anybody who <laughs> is listening to this i'm like i don't who Condé? what you know but like <laughs> But I, because uh, scrap, well, honestly, scrapbooking and journalism, I could talk all day. But, you know, the kind of NAS in particular, I, it's just like, it's such a gigantic dinosaur in a lot of ways. And, and in, a, in a lot of other ways, it's just like, they're huge innovators. Like Bon Appetit's YouTube channel was literally, like, truly a, an industry standard. Truly, you know. <laughs> um, and, no. Well, I mean, you can go on Hulu now and watch some of the episodes. Yeah. Like, it's not even on <laughs> And, I mean, launching careers of yeah. people. Yeah. Like, Carlo Brad Leone, what, and, yeah. what, what even is he? I mean, some, <laughs> he's literally some New Jersey weirdo. <laughs> and the other thing that Condi doesn't really seem to understand is that, you know, video personalities are about this personality. And... OMG, I can't, I think I actually saw on Twitter, somebody was like, oh yeah, they're sliding in my DMs for like scab work on just like contract positions. Oh Who's gonna do that? <laughs> just, you know, don't, we're it, oh my God, guys, I'm sorry that like, honestly, I'm not sorry that we're di di divulging ourselves like, it, it, we're, okay, 
Really, the lesson here is don't be racist, everybody. That's it. 2020. Well, don't be racist. That's, that's the whole thing. And we're coming into this economy that is only going to get worse. Yeah. And we're all going to have to find different ways to work and to take jobs and to make money. And a lot of it is going to have to, you know, figure out, one, what are the best ways to make money? Two, what are the most ethical ways to make money? And crossing picket lines to write one article or make one episode of television for Bon Appetit when they're in, like, crisis zone is probably not going to be super high on anyone's list because then who are you going to go make videos for afterwards? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's not cute. <laughs> it's just... Well, and I think it it goes back into to scrapbooking in a lot of different ways because so many times, and I think companies are getting back getting a little bit better about this, about, you know, unpaid design team work, unpaid labor for whether it's Instagram posts, whether it's blog articles, whether it's, you know, even YouTube stuff mm-hmm. of companies have relied on. And I think this is another reason why scrapbooking and other crafts have been able to be very white for very long and, and not just white but upper middle class white housewives and again there's nothing wrong with being a upper middle class housewife but that type of lifestyle affords you the ability to work for free free. have have some more free time in your life to do the unpaid labor of design teams and crafting companies have relied on that unpaid labor for a very long time to promote their products. And you, I mean, you touched on it before, but you said like best best ways to make money and ethical, like dot, 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 and yeah. ethical. Like that's always so left out, I feel, from, you know, and that's what it is. It's like, it's not really ethical to have someone do so much work. We're not paying them. Or like, or you know, Michelle, like you said, like you said before, like the tapestry that is America. And I love that phrase. And it made me think of like any time that a scrapbook uh, product or embellishment would come out that wasn't another smile or wasn't another happy, or you know, you know what I mean? Yes. Like anytime someone makes a product that is a tapestry of human experience, like that's what I was thinking. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I need to get that because I literally cannot find that anywhere else. Like, <laughs> and I think that that's an ethical thing to do as a scrapbooking company, like yeah. the tapestry of human experience. <laughs> like, you know, it's funny that you mentioned exactly that. So, you know, I, so <laughs> I do scrapbook less right now, but I have a journal, of course. And I put, you know, like I, I use a happy planner as a journal and I have like a little bunch of happy like planner stickers. And I realized I'm like, man, I need some other stickers here because everything is like having a great day. And I'm like, <laughs> it's good for when it's good. Yeah, right. Um, and I mean, they're very cute. I love them. And I, I keep thinking like, okay, I'll use that later when things are happy again. <laughs> <laughs> if, if they're, if they're no, I, no, I know what you're saying, and I got so many yeah. boxes full for when I worked for them. So yeah. I'm just I, every one I open, I go, I need something different. I'm flipping and flipping. I'm like, I need something different. So right, like Kelly Perky's very good at this. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and totally. she was featured in your article too. But 
I'm always like, yes, I need that, that, uh, white claw looking sticker because <laughs> it won't be anywhere else. That's your reality right now. It's all yeah, about Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yes. Yeah. Did I interrupt you before Kristen? Okay, good. No, I was thinking about something else. All right. Now I forgot what it was though. <laughs> Well, you had a question in there about how scrapbooking is similar to journalism. I loved that question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, no, let's, let's talk about that. We have been talking about scrapbooking and journalism the whole time. So let's talk about why, like, one, how are they similar, you know, as a broad question? And then how do you find them? How do you, when you're working on your scrapbooking, when you're working on journalism, in a process way, how do you feel that they're similar? Oh my goodness. So similar, honestly. And so I personally, you know, they, in journalism school, one of the things they tell you is like, you know, you're writing the front page of history or or the, sorry, the first draft of history, right? Um, When you're a journalist, because you're, you're documenting the world or your community, (laughs) you know, like, uh, you know, RIP local newspapers, but <laughs> these newspapers, these, you know, that your local TV station, your radio station, uh, your, your, your friendly neighborhood podcast, everybody, you know, like we are documenting the moment that we're in every day. And so like, you know, especially when I worked at magazines, um, I worked at a couple magazines now, um, magazines especially feel so special. They feel, even when, it, even before magazines completely imploded and I was working out, you know, it's like, it's like a special project, you know, and I would remember, uh, so the first magazine I worked at was the Advocate magazine. It's an LGBT news magazine out in Los Angeles. Um, I truly loved it. And I mean, for many reasons, but one of them is that I had a coworker who was still a dear friend, Megan Quinn. She's a photographer. She and I apparently, and we didn't know, obviously we didn't know each other as children, but, but when we met, one of the things that we bonded over was the fact that when we were kids, one, we were both collagers and two, we would collect magazines, cut out little, you know, like the articles that we liked and then paste them back into a big thing. And I called mine, my magazine. And she was like, <laughs> dude, I used to do the same thing. And we were like, Whoa, you know, <laughs> right? you know, and it's just like, it's like, there's like a certain type of like craft in uh, magazine editing especially and just like uh you know you're making curatorial choices and stuff like that and art choices and like so just that process is very similar uh obviously to journalism um uh or sorry uh, similar to scrapbooking but you know like i said it's just like you're documenting time you're truly you know and i think you know actually getting back to what we were talking about earlier about like you know, give me a sticker that says I have cramps or that, you know, they (laughs) suck. You know, it's just like, so many of us craft like kind of like the everyday stories of our lives. And like, that's what we're doing in journalism too, you know, Uh, even if they're, you know, BS and, (laughs) you know, like so many, I, you know, I am one of these journalists who is a little bit like, ugh, do we really have to cover this dumb thing that happened? (laughs) But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you kind of have to, because it's like, you, somebody is going to want to know three years from now, like, wait, what happened with that thing? You know, like that stupid controversy on Twitter that day, or like, didn't something come out of the, you know, like it's useful to have. So um, yeah, in those ways, I think of journalism and scrapbooking is very, uh, is, is, is very similar, um, you know, 
also equally important, obviously. (laughs) What projects are you working on personally right now? Let's see. So I am, I got this, I got my journal and that's my, so, you know, kind of like how Kristen, you do your daily pages. It's like, my journal is my thing every day where I'm like, all right, if I, if I can't do this every day, after like three days, I start to feel crazy. So (laughs) that's like my thing. I started a project life album this year and it's literally like the last (laughs) thing is like oh you know vice's office have shut down everybody's in lockdown and then that was it it was was over you needed the break it sounded like you just needed space from away from everything yeah it's it's crazy it's like because i I was you know taking photos and all that stuff and documenting and then it just kept building up and i was like i'm never gonna do this it's a wash whatever it's fine i do have a week in the life album uh which includes my layoff (laughs) that was fun um and (laughs) yeah man it was such a weird week it's like me doing yoga and like loading the dishwasher and then like i got laid off (laughs) yeah and that's some weeks very you know (laughs) and it's it's so like i'm sure like future you will look back and be like i'm glad i have that or like it's like again one of those tapestry of the human experience like (laughs) one day you're doing mundane stuff routine the next it's completely flipped Exactly. I mean, even now, I mean, I, so I finished the album, let's see, Week in Life was May. I finished actually putting that album together at the very end of June. And even now when I look at it, I'm just like, thank goodness I did that. Even I have like this little depressing photo of me, like in the mirror, in the dirty mirror of my bedroom, like sobbing 10 minutes after I found too. <laughs> Every like veteran, however veteran we are, every veteran scrapbooker has that like teary photo of like it has to be documented some teary times don't and you definitely don't want them yeah the ones that do that it's like that's some of my favorite stuff that I have down is this that hard stuff so you're mainly a pocket scrapbooker mostly yeah but my my week in the life stuff and my December dailies have been traveler's notebooks which is like a weird challenge for me because I it's like the whole page it's like a small page, but it's still a page. <laughs> yeah, where do I put it when I'm done? Oh, wait, it's just a okay. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. Have you thought about December Daily for this year? Um, I saw Allie Edwards. She said so. She, she had like an email. Like it was just like Ooh, December Daily stuff is on sale, and I was like, here we go, December Daily. Can't wait. It's July. I don't care. <laughs> We're doing this. <laughs> I I love it. It's just like to me. I always think of them as kind of like moments of the year. It's like, well, it's either it's either week in the life or December daily. It's one of those, mm. week, you know, like one of those periods of time, or you know, or one little word time that means it's the beginning of the year. <laughs> right. yeah. I'm surprised Amanda hasn't started bugging me to start thinking about my one little word. You better start thinking. I think I know mine. Could change, Ooh. but interesting I, she usually has hers about now it's, yeah. it's 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 usually her time and i'm like i, I think about no, it no. all year long i don't Dang. stop do you find thing. that do you find that the school year is like the point in the in time when you start to like all right well 2021 it's you know oh, we this is this was literally we literally had this conversation last week and we were like absolutely yes yeah, 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 yeah. We are both. We are both. September first is the start of the new year for yeah. us. Straight <laughs> up. Or at least, like, I know it's going to go so fast that the new year is going to be here. But like, right. I like my brain shifts then. Yeah, no school year. 1st. School year calendar all the way. I like. I've never gotten out of that academic planner mode. 
<laughs> I, I honestly, I'm glad that I paid, you know, like $35,000 a year to get that academic planner for free from the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did the, I trust me. It's like back to school shopping for school supplies. My parents, I was like, can we go to Staples today? Can, can we go now? And my, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, okay. no <laughs> the same mold. I'm the same <laughs> I, I haven't been in like, I've been in like two stores. I go to the one, like the, so it's called Horrocks. It's like, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a produce store slash grocery store slash farm farm market slash it's pretty wild garden supply store (laughs) it's the most amazing store in the entire like it's like if walt disney was like guys we're gonna make a grocery store and then he just had like all this fun stuff like popcorn trying and like gelato trying there's a little bar in the back uh, oh yeah, they'll pour you like two like half glasses of wine for free. It's a lot of fun there. Excuse me. And all of the free coffee that you want. Oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah, no, this place, place is amazing. Oh my god. So that's the only place. That, that's the only actual store that I've been in since lockdown. <laughs> I'm not joking. And now every day they have a different food truck, and they have this whole like outdoor nice. beer garden. So that's the only store I've been. But. I've been trying to think if I need to make an exception to go to Target just for like the dollar school supplies. Nice. You do. I've I mean, bought out all of my Target stuff. <laughs> like, it's good. It's really good. I, like, I mean, you know, highlighters, grid notebook papers. Yeah. Those oh, things yeah. are so much more expensive when it's not this time of year. <laughs> it's like, it's so much cheaper. Half the people aren't even going back to school. So they probably I know. It is kind of weird seeing like these commercials of kids with backpacks like back to school time. And I'm like, are yeah. well I guess you're you, guys, you, know, are, you know every single mom is gonna dress their little kid up Yo. in the perfect outfit with a little backpack and put yeah. them on the front step for back to school right back in the house. Totally. They better. And I know every single mom that's listening to this right now is laughing her ass off because they know they're gonna do that. And even if they didn't know they were gonna do that, they're like, Oh yeah, now I'm definitely gonna do that. Let me tell you. I'm so my, excited. So, you know, tag, tag us with those photos because I can't <laughs> wait to see them. My uh, kids, my, I have a two-year-old and his daycare, you know, shut down uh, back in March. And so they were like, okay, we're going to open up really slow, you know. So I was like, I was, they opened up, uh, it was August 3rd. And I was so worried. I was like, oh, he's so used to being at home and like, what are we going to do? And the, all these habits that he's learned is, are they going to carry over? And is he going to be mad that we're leaving? He walked up to the daycare and he <laughs> saw Paula, his teacher and ran to her. He's like, get out of here, parents. I was like trying to take a cute little photo. And he was like, nah, peace. <laughs> <laughs> They're so funny how they surprise you. And like what your anxiety builds up. I cute. could not sleep the night before. <laughs> he was just like, Whatever, bye. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. He even he was like ready for a change yeah. <laughs> over us. Oh sweet, he's, he's very cute. The house. He's oh so my goodness, cute. it's uh, it was exhausting. So I was very I, happy that uh, daycare was. I mean, I love being in the house. I love being just you know here in the house, not going out. But man, I am getting so tired of this already. <laughs> and. Now there's just going to be, it's going to be weird because normally there are about 50,000 people that come back from wherever they are. 
and attend college here. And okay. that's usually like in a week. So who knows how many are coming back? Because it's, uh, is it Michigan State? Did you live by? Yep. Yeah. Because I almost I wanted to go to Michigan State. So I'm like, yeah, Lansing. Um, <laughs> so what's the deal there? Are they like bringing people back fully or what? It's mostly remote classes. And then they're going to go fully remote after Thanksgiving. Which is huh. an interesting, it's an interesting choice. Hmm. If you went fully remote until Thanksgiving, you might be able to be back once Thanksgiving's yeah. over. Yeah. And then it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how many of the normally fifty thousand kids that come back to school come back and what they do, you know, when they're not on campus because when they're on campus they are they have to follow a whole bunch of rules, and when they're in just the town of East Lansing they are visitors of the town of East Lansing. Hmm. So we already had an outbreak when nobody was here, and somebody left the United States. Yeah, no, people went to, like, 14 different states. It was a, an outbreak because, you know, we need clubs. <laughs> I, I know this is a story that I've been talking about. I, Michelle, I'll have to send you the link about it because it's crazy. They, people were at this bar downtown, and it wound up being a, a cluster, and almost 200 people got infected. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. And actually, the governor wound up closing all restaurants slash bars that make more than 70% of their profits via alcohol in the entire state because of it. So, wow. <laughs> Has Brooklyn been responsible? You know, it's a mixed bag here. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like their life is so outdoors normally in the summer, right? Like, Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. It's weird because most, I mean, you know, I, so I have a, a dog and a kid. So it's like every day, twice a day, we are outside walking throughout right. the whole thing. Uh, people at first with the, the masks were really good. Then uh, the summer rolled around and people seemed to think that, 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 that like, oh, well, it's summer. So that's, that means a thing. Does it? I, did, I was not aware. So <laughs> there are a couple of uh, bars here in this area. I live in Windsor Terrace. Uh, I, I don't care about saying that because we're leaving soon. So whatever. But <laughs> we live in Windsor Terrace in Brooklyn. And there's like a couple little bars here and they have like outdoor seating and it is lit. Like the like it's five o'clock, that's it. We're there, we're at the bar, it's like packed. And I and we walk through, you know, because it's like people out in the street and on the sidewalk. So, you know, when we take our walks, we have to walk through it. And I'm like covered in a mask, and the baby's <laughs> in a mask, and the dog is in a mask, and you know, <laughs> and like it just it just is surreal because I'm just like, are these people living in an alternate reality that I can't see and we're in like a bubble and like they think that everything's fine or what like what is happening it's very strange but yeah people are okay with the masks here they're okay kind of with social distancing but it's not, it's, it's like well you know we got like New York's like and I just keep thinking the rest of the country watched New York City the largest city in the country deal with mass death coronavirus uh, isol you know, uh, uh, social isolation, you know, people dying and being stored in refrigerated trucks. And then they were like, oh, okay, we're good then, right? Like, <laughs> like really? Like, how did, how did you, we just did the test case for you guys <laughs> so that you didn't have to do this. But you, the deal is you still have to stay inside. 
Right. Right? It seems like <laughs> that's exactly what happened. It was like, oh, okay, New York dealt with that, so we don't have to. Right. <laughs> right. It was, it's like it's still not contained, you know? I, 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 actually, I was thinking about you, Amanda, earlier because I was like, school? I don't know. <laughs> One of my That's colleagues, been my exact reaction. <laughs> yeah. One of my colleagues, uh, she has a, oh, she, she works in D.C., and a former colleague and she uh has a kid in daycare and she was saying that there's 30 kids at daycare and i was like oh that's a lot of kids and then they had a coronavirus thing six kids got infected all like the six the kids are mostly fine you know there's two that were ill but then a bunch of parents got sick and some of the teachers got sick i'm just like oh my gosh like this is this is real like i don't know how we are gonna just except the fact that we can't live the lives that we want to be living. We just, we just can't. This is just what it is, you know? And I, it's, it's not just that this is a little thing that's happening right now and it's inconvenient. This is something that is not just once in our lifetimes, not just once in, you know, our lifetimes and our parents' lifetimes. This is once in a hundred years. Yeah, literally. We You're have, right. like, all right, this hasn't happened since, like, actually 1918 <laughs> and 1919. Mm-hmm. So, like, we need to just stop acting like, oh, this is, like, inconvenient. <laughs> well, yes, it's very inconvenient. It sucks. It's terrible. And in fact, it hasn't been so terrible for 100 (laughs) years. So, like, let's do something about it so we don't have to continue having it be as terrible as it was. It just seems so... It feels like common sense. (laughs) Yeah. So does being anti-racist. This is what we're talking about. Honestly, I don't know. (laughs) Just, I don't <laughs> Speaking of resilience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah let's let's, let's <laughs> talk about resilience, right? <laughs> okay. So we have not actually had an interview in a really long yeah, time. Yeah, I'm very excited. So I'm really excited to bring it back with you. We've been asking wonderful people, and I can, honestly can't believe that we picked resilience for this year, which is <laughs> hilarious. It's really hilarious. What are some ways that resilience has been popping up in your life? Either now uh or you know way back Ooh. um i so whenever i think about resilience uh and i know this is gonna sound real corny but i am a big believer in the ancestors right like i am not like a super religious person but for me i like i feel like i do things for the people who came before me you know like my grandma my great-grandmother like her like just the generations of people who existed uh just so that I could be on this podcast and like talk about scrapbooking, you know? <laughs> um, so like, I think of, when I think of resilience, I think of them a lot, you know, just like, you know, I have on my, on my dad's side of the family, they're Caribbean uh, ans- or rather um, uh, immigrants who came to the United States. On my mom's side of the family, we're, you know, like, you know, uh, people who are enslaved, you know, and then came from the South and, uh, and to New York, you know? So I, I think about, both sides of my family a lot about like resilience and how much they endured, how much racism they endured, how much joy they had in their lives, you know, like the love that they had in their lives. 
you know, the hardships that they had, the poverty that they faced. Uh, so yeah, that's what, when I think of resilience, I think of them and I think of like, how did they get through things? And then that makes me feel like, hey, dumb, dumb, like, <laughs> okay, so you don't, you didn't get like the, the burger that you wanted, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> I love I that love answer. That. No one's okay. ever tied it to that before. Oh, I love that. I love it so much. That was a great answer. Okay, we're going to conclude this amazing episode with um, our currently round based off Kristen's currently card. At Where could they get it, Kristen? TheAwesomeLadiesProject.com slash currently. Yeah, because I usually say AreYouKristen.com, but that's wrong now. No, it's, it's, you can also go there. Sure. We <laughs> haven't done this in a while, so I wanted to double check with you. Don't worry. I make sure that they both go to the same place. I love it. Okay, so we're going to read it off on the podcast. Are you ready, Michelle? Yes. What are you currently watching? Okay, so I watch absolutely nothing of consequence these days. Uh, but my favorite, <laughs> my favorite thing that I'm watching right now is a show. It's a British, like re- uh, reality show called Home is Where the Art Is, and it's a art competition where, like, okay, you're like, all right, I want to buy some art, and then they have three artists come to your house while you're not there and snoop around, and then they come. Those three artists come to the studio and they pitch you like all right, I noticed that you really like dolphins. I'm going to make you a dolphin sculpture. It's so good. It's so good. <gasps> that it's sounds on, amazing. It's called Home is Where the Art Is. Some wonderful person posts a bunch of shows like this on YouTube. So there's another one called Portrait Artist of the Portrait Artist of the Year, where they basically find people, like amazing portrait artists all across UK, they paint people in like a competition style. They paint different like famous, you know, TV people and all that stuff. Uh, and then the whole point is that they get like a really big deal commission at the end of it. And that's like the prize. It's, it's such a delight. British people, what a delight. <laughs> British reality television is okay. like really good. So good. Um, there's this, they have a really good gardener that I got really obsessed with. His name is Monty Don. Yes. I totally know Monty Don, but his little overalls. <laughs> I, so he has this one show where he goes around and like fixes up the backyards of people. Yeah. The British, like slightly older women are like so hot for him. <laughs> they are like, <laughs> they love like you can see them like whispering like to each other <laughs> in like the, the garden parties they have. They are like really, really, really into him, like really hard. Truly. <laughs> All those shows sound like fun. No, They're I, very fun. <laughs> yes. I gotta check them out. Okay, what are you currently reading? What am I? Oh, I'm on the last like 20 pages of Love in the Time of Cholera, which I obviously chose for this time. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a weird read, I gotta say. It's great and weird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. What, <laughs> what are you currently listening to? Uh obviously this podcast um and so i gotta say my friend zishan was on the daily this week which was insane (laughs) so if if any of you listen to the new york times daily podcast he is the guy who did the second episode of uh on cancel culture and he was the guy who was triple canceled or whatever um (laughs) the way that he explains what happened is exactly how he talks and i've edited him he's a writer he writes exactly like this too which is hilarious so He's very methodical, very thoughtful, 
uh, and uh, yeah, he explains cancel culture and then explains how a triple canceling happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, interesting. Oh my God. Yeah. The other things that I'm listening to are, uh, let's see. Oh, uh, Nicole Byers podcast. Why won't you date me is such a delight. <laughs> She's hilarious. <laughs> um, and just so great. And then I'm listening to uh, Esther Perel's podcast. Where do we begin? Oh my God. It is insane. And I love it. It's so like, I, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe people are being so forthright about the very deep, sad problems in their relationship. I'm kind of loving it. <laughs> yeah. That's what we need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Live vicariously through these folks. <laughs> what are you currently making? What am I making? A lot of food. Though my oven broke this week, so I'm making a lot of food in my Instant Pot, in every setting. (laughs) I approve. Yeah. (laughs) She's, we're waiting for that sponsorship. (laughs) The Instant Pot sponsorship? Yeah. Oh, my God. Get that money. Yeah. (laughs) Get it. (laughs) There are so many amazing things to make in the Instant Pot. Yeah. I've been doing... I was waiting for one. Really? Okay, so it's, like, honestly, it's so over the top. But my favorite, honestly, my favorite new way to make carrots is to put them in the Instant Pot and then in the oven and then to cook them on the stove. Whoa. Triple. Yeah. Triple. Triple. so dumb. But they're amazing. Like, but honestly, to cook them in the Instant Pot so that they're cooked through, it takes, like, five minutes in, like, you know, the Instant Pot heats up and then five minutes in the Instant Pot. Because if you cook them on the stove or in the oven, it just takes so long. But they taste so carrot. <laughs> like, <laughs> because, like, you're not, you're, you don't lose any of the carrot flavor. All of the carrot is just in the carrot. It's just so good. And, like, if you get carrots from, like, the farmer's market, I get them from the CSA. All of that carrot flavor is just so in there. I mean, do you, you see what just- I'm talking about, Instapot? <laughs> This is why yeah. I say that. It the carrot is so carrot. Instant pot. Yeah. And then the slogan will be your face with, this is so carrot. <laughs> I love it. Michelle, what are you currently feeling? Um, eh. <laughs> I hear ya. Right, yeah. I'm not feeling bad. Just kind of like, eh. All right. I hear ya. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel it. What are you currently planning? What am I planning? Gosh, wow, yeah. I, I didn't, a move. I don't know why I didn't, yes, I am planning a move. That is true. Um, it's uh, I, I, I look around my house and I'm like, I have a lot of stuff and I don't have a lot of stuff. It's hard to gauge. Uh, the last time we moved across the country, we moved from Los Angeles back to New York. And uh, I remember we had 24 boxes, but this was before we had a child and a dog and you know we threw out a bunch of stuff. Yeah, this is going to be a lot more boxes. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Life but, is yeah. just full of, like, actual contradictions. Like like you said, like, I have a lot of stuff, but I don't have a lot of stuff. But, like, those are true. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for seeing my truth. They can exist at the same time. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, lastly, what are you currently loving? Oh, man. I am loving the uh prospect of no humidity soon like i'm so excited about like that period of like oh it's hot outside but it's not humid 
so <laughs> awesome or like it's very breezy like you know like that like that thing I, or like I'm thinking about like sitting on my ha- on my front porch which I will have in a couple of weeks and like wow. drinking some hot cider and just like yeah I'm living the life you know like that's what I'm loving the idea of just like hanging out with my family yes yeah, apple cider donuts too. Oh yeah, <laughs> cannot wait. <laughs> yeah, if there's a vendor at the farmers market here that's in pending litigation with the town. So wait, what? Yeah. Dang, that's serious. I know. They don't do. They only do heterosexual marriages at their farm. No. So the town. Why? The town didn't want to give them space at the farmers market. So then they sued, saying that the what they do at their farm, which is not inside the town, is not a basis for what the town can provide them a permit for inside the town. So it is now being decided on whether or not the Supreme Court actual supreme court will take the case because the michigan yep the town has already spent a lot of money on this (laughs) oh my god yeah i know gilmore girls town it's so (laughs) exciting I mean, it's so crazy. Like, as you were, before you said Supreme Court, I was like, this is going to be a Supreme Court case. I can't wait. Oh my God, this is crazy. Okay. It's already been, it's, we've, it's been going on for three years. Oof. Wow. It's, it's, and you know, it's, well, like, honestly, it's so much fun living here because there's constant nonsense. <laughs> I mean, I so mean, much nonsense. Living on the planet so is pretty much. fun. There's constant <laughs> well, nonsense. Well, you know, like, the, that's the thing is that, I think that's one of the things that we have to do in society right now is like shift our head from this nonsense to the other nonsense, to the other nonsense, to the other nonsense. Like personally, when I have projects that I need to do, I procrastinate one project with the other project. And I feel like that's what we kind of need to do with like the news is procrastinate some news with other news because there's, there's so much that's out of our control right now. This is probably a good topic for after chatter. You know, there's so much that's out of our control right now that we can't fix everything. I mean, there's so many things that we can't even possibly even start to fix that letting ourselves get bogged down and spiral out of control because of things we can't fix. Just, you know, pivot and be like, oh, yeah, that that donut place in the farmer's market, they're totally so in the town. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. Let's chat about that. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, I have to say, like, I'm so appreciative of this podcast and, like, conversations like this. They're the tiny little things in in my day in our world that, like, isn't nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, and people like you, Michelle and Kristen, like, I'm just happy to know you because it makes it better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do have to say it's like like I said this podcast and uh, Nicole Byers podcast it's like when I listen to you guys it's like oh thank god my friends are here like you know it's just like especially because I'm not seeing my actual like my human friends I'm just like oh oh thank goodness people who are not my family this is great and then they're just talking about things that I like oh yeah yeah, right. yeah butter for the ears yes <laughs> well it's been a pleasure having you on Oh, I was like going to say that Thank same you. thing. Oh, it makes goodness. us super happy. Okay. You come back we'll whenever back. you want. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I would come back next week. You can't say that. 
Okay, well, we'll I will schedule a appropriate time <laughs> for you to come back next season. <laughs> cool. Must. Well, we're going to make that happen. We will also be back next week with a, another amazing episode. And we're going to go over to After Chatter so we can talk about some cool stuff. I know I said a topic, but I obviously just forgot about it because <laughs> Michelle said something amazing and now I just... I have an interesting <laughs> question to ask. Ooh. I'm very excited to hear about that. We're going to make that happen. So we'll be over at After Chatter, which you can hear at the Awesome Ladies Project VIP Collective or over on Patreon for the rest of the month. And have an awesome week, guys. Have an amazing weekend. Stay cool or stay warm, depending on where you are. Stay dry. Stay safe. Do all those amazing things. We love you and we will be back soon. Have an amazing week and do some cool things. Bye, guys.